All right, everybody, welcome in. Settle down. Take a deep breath. Let's do it together. In through the mouth. No, no, no. You prefer the nose? Okay, in through the nose. Out through the mouth. <sighs> Giving instructions while taking the breath. Ruined my uh, deep breath experience right there, but let's do it again. This time I'll try not to talk. In through the nose. Out through the mouth. I talked at the end. I'm sorry. Let's go in through the mouth now. No, we're going to stay with the nose. You want the mouth? Here we go. In through the mouth. <gasps> that sounds weird. So let's go in through the nose and out through the nose. Didn't expect me to say that. Now let's get our normal pace of breathing back. We feeling relaxed or are we feeling erratic out of the gates? I don't know, but welcome in. It's episode 63. It's going to be a doozy. Doozy. Is that slang? Is that a real word? Should we immediately Google it. How do you spell it? D-O-O-O-O-Z-I-E. You don't know. I don't know. We've all heard the word. So this could be a doozy. Maybe I'm misusing it. Maybe not. All right. One thing I think we all realize, you don't even have to be a parent to realize this, is that little kids, babies, toddlers, they need to be taught a few things. <gasps> really? Yeah. One of them, don't hit. Don't hit. Don't slap. Don't punch. Don't bite. Don't fight. Any of that physical altercation nonsense, you stop it. You stop it. And eventually, hopefully, your kid learns, all right, I don't hit. I don't bite. I don't pull hair. I don't punch. I don't slap. Kids are capable of learning. It's a beautiful thing. Then they grow up. And then at some point, they have the realization, wait, adults fight. I think that's one of the ultimate ways to disappoint a kid is when they realize that adults are hypocrites, that adults spend a lot of time teaching them, this is how we do things, and then they grow up and they look around at the adults and go, oh, but you motherfuckers still do that stuff. Not all, but come on. A lot of adults, we spend the time teaching the lessons the way they should be, and then how many of us follow them? Hopefully a lot, but it's always a weird moment in a kid's life when they realize, oh, adults fight. And here's when I thought of this. I was watching baseball highlights this week. That's right. I'll tune into a few highlights here and there. And there was an enormous brawl. Huge. It was a Reds-Pirates game. The relief pitcher for the Reds, Amir Garrett is his name. During a stoppage point in the game, he looks over at the Pirates dugout. And he's talking into his glove with a few teammates right on the mound. Just talking into his glove. And then the animal comes out. He charges the Pirates' dugout. A Reds pitcher charges the Pirates' dugout. As in, I don't need any of my teammates. I'm coming at you to maul you like a tiger. And he throws haymakers, big old punches, into a sea of people. Couldn't imagine what the Pirates players are thinking. They had to be thinking, well, we can't run. It's just one of him. 20 of us, we can't run, but everybody brace yourself. Somebody's probably going to take a punch right now. And he's throwing and he's throwing and he's throwing. And then it becomes a melee, a good old fashioned Donnie Brook. And it's just a big old fashioned, ugly baseball brawl. Eventually everybody calms down. Hold me back, hold me back, hold me back. Calm down. The umps get involved, even cops on the field. And I'm thinking, okay, that's part of baseball. And actually that's a part of baseball I like. I'll explain that in a moment. But I was thinking there could be kids at the game. You know, baseball remains one of those sports, a little slice of Americana, where a dad or a mom could still take their little kid, get some Cracker Jacks, get a hot dog. You know, I can romanticize kids going to baseball games during the summertime, right? 
It's just a great sight. Kids go into baseball games during the summertime. Parents really don't prepare the kid, let's say 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, for what could be Amir Garrett of the Reds just throwing giant left-handed ding-dong Mike Tyson punches. And of course I watched the fight three more times in slow motion, analyzing every aspect of it. And then I thought, man, if you're a kid, that could completely rewire your brain. If that's the first time you see adults fight on a baseball diamond, that could make you look at the world differently. Now, the first fight I ever saw, and everybody listening right now, think about that. What's the first fight you ever saw? Not with kids. That doesn't count. Not with classmates and kids, but when you saw adults, strangers, fighting in a public place. It is one of the ugliest feelings that can consume you. It's like immediate disgust and intrigue simultaneously. You go, this isn't good. This looks violent and uncomfortable. This is a bad thing happening. Just animals going at it. And then you go, I can't look away. We all have that. Unfortunately, we humans have the old, I can't look away from the train wreck mentality. For me, it was an A's White Sox game. Of course, I'll never forget it. It's like those little things in life. You go, why can't I forget this? Probably because it made some indelible image in your mind somewhere, made a little wrinkle in your brain, and you just go, yeah, that's with me now forever. A's White Sox. I remember Dave Henderson, who didn't love Hendu, hit a game-tying home run in the ninth, bottom of the ninth at the old Oakland Coliseum before the ugly renovations against the White Sox. It was one of those dull games, Sunday day games. My dad and his friend took me. Pretty good seats, I remember. Hendu with a big home run. I thought that was just the best moment. And then immediately in the 10th, Carlton Fisk wins the game for the White Sox with a big old game-winning two-run shot. Gotta love these old school names. That's when the White Sox logo was like that lowercase cursive C. You remember that? It's a good hat. I think I used to have that hat. Actually, I know I did. But somewhere along the lines, I think it was towards the end of the game in the 10th, we were in extra innings, all the heads and the crowd point away from the field and to the left. That's how you know something's up. In a big stadium arena, when all the heads are not looking at the game anymore, but somewhere else in the crowd, there's a fight going on. But I remember it was like one section over, two guys with their shirts off, just ex- not even exchanging punches. That would be a compliment, but just flailing at each other. And I'm not sure if my dad explained it to me. Maybe he tried to get my attention back on the game real quick. That's pretty good parenting. You know, just like minimize the impact of whatever's going on just to get the kids' attention back to where you want it on the field. Let's go, Walt Weiss. But I can still see these idiots. You know, back then, I don't know what alcohol will do to a couple of guys who spent three hours, nine innings, yelling at each other the whole game in the sun. Toss them in the drunk tank. They don't care. But it is the moment where you go, oh, adults do this. Some people can't remember the first time they saw fights. Other people can. But it's ugly. It's ugliness. I think it's the first time we disappoint the kids when we show them, yep, adults just as bad. Don't learn lessons. Some do. Hopefully more and more do. So I think that's my progression. As a kid, didn't like seeing him. Then you get into your teens and you're like, all right, you know, it's kind of entertaining to watch a fight here and there. And even in college, you know, fights break out at parties. You have to say it's somewhat interesting still, even though it still gives you that sickening feeling in your stomach. But now I've reached the age where I'm like, I really don't want to see him. No, thanks. I'm good. Never again would be great. Honestly, if I never see another fight, that would be beautiful. However, I love baseball brawls, and I don't know why. 
Never was a hockey fan, so I don't really understand the place in the game for fighting, although I know hockey fights happen all the time and people get excited about that. Not into hockey. Basketball, you can't clear the bench. Players have to stay seated, so any basketball fight you've ever seen is probably over in 10 to 12 seconds. Football, why would you fight? You could hurt a guy worse within the rules of the game, but then there's baseball. The charging of the mound. See, the Amir Garrett fight going into the Padres or Pirates dugout, that's so rare. I'd say 85% of baseball fights, it's a charging of the mound. It's a well-orchestrated, choreographed dance. There's a moment where the pitcher either hits the batter, where the ball gets close, a little chin music, a little brush back, and the batter makes a decision. Most of the time, I'm going to first base. I'll take my base. Sometimes, nah, I'm coming at you. And it sets up such an interesting dynamic of chess. Can the catcher get to the batter in time? Did the batter sprint out of the batter's box to go to the pitcher? Did they even get to the pitcher? And once they got to the pitcher, did everybody get there so fast that there wasn't a fight? Or did infielders and benches not get there in time so we got a little dance? Like the classic Nolan Ryan, Robin Ventura. We got a little dance. To my 10-year-old brain, I see it was like, what was this going on for five minutes just watching Nolan Ryan Pink to the pink to the pink, pink, pink to the back of Robin Ventura's head. By the way, Robin Ventura looked a lot like Dennis Leary. Huh? Think about it and move on. I could think of so many baseball brawls where you know what each and every player did. Remember Charlie Hayes once charged the mound from second base? You remember Pedro Martinez once threw Don Zimmer on the ground from his bald head? You remember that? Don Zimmer was probably 94 years old and Pedro Martinez... In a brawl, Red Sox-Yankees just throws this old man on the turf. You can remember all these things. Will Clark, Ozzie Smith, little Giants and Cardinals brawl. And in a weird way, it's a part of the game. Kind of makes you question, wait, is it? Is it a part of the game? We just grandfather in so many things. Don't we just accept so many social norms because we go, yeah, it's always been that way. Ah, It's always been that way where the batter sometimes gets so upset he goes and assaults the pitcher and starts a big old fight. Then everyone gets involved. Padres-Braves, 1984. Braves pitcher Pascual Perez. Remember this? If you don't, find it on YouTube because it's about as ugly as a baseball brawl gets. But I guess my point is, I'm always thinking about it when I watch baseball. It's like when the game starts, you wonder, am I about to watch a no-hitter? And until you see a hit, you think about the no-hitter. At least that's me. If I see a pitcher going into the fourth inning, hasn't given up a hit, I start thinking about it. I start thinking about it. So every time I see a guy get hit by a pitch. I go, oh, oh, here, no. Usually it's a, no, of course, they're just going to take the base. But I go, huh. I used to ask my friends, how would we make today memorable? Been to a lot of baseball games. I asked that question. What would make this game the most memorable? Number one, a no hitter. Number two, if a guy hit four home runs in one game, which never happens. Number three, a bench clearing brawl. To me, it's always a bench clearing brawl. Never have I been to a game where one breaks out. I think it'd be fascinating. I guess sad for the little kids, the seven-year-old with daddy eating a big old red rope and just sees these heroes. You have their baseball cards. Actually, nobody has baseball cards anymore, but just your favorite player involved in a melee. However, my God, that sounds fun to see, but not in real life. That's true. I'm done. Done. Ever seeing fights in real life. I've even had students not understanding the role of the teacher wanting to show me fights caught on tape. Because I guess every schoolyard fight is now filmed. Of course it is. And I've had to tell the kids, do you realize what happens 
If you show a teacher a fight, they immediately report it. You think they sit there going, oh, he got clocked. Thanks, Tyler. I appreciate that. All right. Now back to your desk. Now, I think so many things are caught on tape nowadays. Kids are desensitized to some of it's like really ugly. How many ugly viral videos can you watch per day before it's just, you know, you're numb to it? Eh, doesn't affect me anymore. All right, but like I said, to make a baseball game memorable, Brawl, never seen one, you'd never forget it if you did. A no-hitter, you ever see a no-hitter live? Now those happen, I wouldn't say frequently, but you get a few a season. That'd be amazing. You even wonder if it's the opposing pitcher going up against your team, do you applaud in the end? My answer is, hell yes, you appreciate greatness. Once saw Randy Johnson with the Mariners take it into the ninth. And I remember, even though I loved the A's cheering for the big unit, I said, come on, Randy, let's do this. Let's make today memorable. I guess that's my goal now moving forward. How are we going to make these days memorable? And then the last one, would you like to see a player hit four home runs in one game? It's only been done by 17 players, I think. But it never happens. It never happens. I remember Mike Cameron. Who else? Who else can you think that has hit four homers in a game? Sean Green, remember him with the Dodgers? He did it. And the other one I remember just off the top of my head is Mark Witten. Remember that guy? He had a cannon at a center field. Big Mark Witten of the Cardinals. Four homers in a game. It never happens. Never. I'll never see that. But if you did, you'd never forget it. By the way, if you hit four home runs in a game, you're in a zone that is inexplicable, literally you got to love all these post-game interviews with players who had big games. What happened out there? I don't know. I showed up. I played a game. Good things happen. The interviewer always wants something deep, right? Clay Thompson, you just dropped 37 points in one quarter against the Kings, which is probably the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. If you think about sports accomplishments, Clay dropping 37 in a quarter on the Kings. Clay, what happened out there? He doesn't know. He doesn't know if he knew if he could actually dial into that energy that allows him to reach such a zone where he can drop 37 points in a quarter in a quarter, folks, I'm saying in a quarter, you know, it's a lot of points for a player in a quarter, usually like 12 or 14. That's like a big quarter. Clay's record of 37. Are you kidding me? What happened that night? You know, the zone is an interesting thing. I remember Mark Kreidler. Mark Kreidler is a journalist, also an author. And he was a radio host. I hosted a few shows with him when he was at 95.7 The Game. And Crides, who did the whole show standing up, by the way. It's funny how everybody has their own radio energy. Some people like to remain seated. They don't even move. Other people need to pace. They like to talk and walk. Some people are very animated. But Crider, remember, he just stood there like he was at a podium, the whole radio show. And he said, because he's written some great books, but he said, the next book I want to write is The Psychology Behind the Zone. What happens to a player when they hit four home runs in a game? We don't know. What happens to the human mind? What happens to your abilities when you're doing something at such a high level that it's almost like you've mastered something, but it's an anomaly. It's the outlier. It's not the norm. Maybe on a lesser level, some of us have examples of whatever you do for a living. Was there one day where you're just like, damn, I'm fucking good at this today. Whatever you do for your job, whether it's all your social interactions are going well, you're reaching all your goals, you feel like you're connecting with everybody, your boss is noticing, I don't know, just a typical day at work, but what happens when it's flawless? That's a word we rarely use. Well, when Clay has a 37-point quarter, it's flawless. 
when you see a quarterback like Joe Montana, you know, just waltzing his way to another Super Bowl victory, what happens mentally? Some of these are the great mysteries that you can't really unfold, but it'd be interesting to explore. Seems like a lot of it is mental, right? What did the hoop look like for Clay Thompson? What did the hoop look like in that 12-minute quarter against Sacramento? Probably just looked like he was throwing marbles through a hula hoop from three feet away. That's in. That's in. He's a video game. Yep. Yep. He became a robot. Who knows if it's visual? Is it actual muscle memory? I don't know. I don't know what happens. To a player like Mark Witten, who hits four home runs in a game. He goes to sleep that night. He goes, what happened differently? I'd like to know. He doesn't know. But I bet the ball looked like the size of a watermelon. And he was just swinging a torpedo at it. Boom! This is too easy. Maybe the ball slows down. Ball's coming at him 95 miles per hour. Just slows down. How did he do it? Mentally. He slowed down life. Are we capable of doing that? I don't know. Maybe some gurus, some Buddhist monks would say, yes, of course, you can slow down life. If that's your goal. Maybe you could do it in sports. Do we truly understand that these batters are facing 95 to over 100 miles per hour fastballs? I should watch more baseball because I do appreciate their abilities and the percentage of people that just can't do it. Go into a batting cage and go to medium speed. You're not going to be able to hit any. The average Joe won't be able to hit anything 70 miles per hour. Even 65 is pretty fast. 100? 100? These pitchers, their bodies are different. Even Jeff Brantley said that. Their shoulders are actually different. The anatomy of anybody who could throw a baseball that fast and accurately I remember this interview, Jeff Brantley, when he was a Reds announcer, maybe he still is, I don't know, but he was talking about, yeah, you could ask doctors what it is with the makeup of their shoulders. You could tell at a young age, you could actually tell at a young age, the kids that are going to go on that path, if they want, who could just throw baseballs fast, faster than the others. All right. Getting back to the teens who always have something on their phones, always, and they become desensitized. Like if you watch 50 fights a day on your phone, viral videos, all of a sudden it's normalized. You're no longer, oh my God, a fight. You just go, yeah, it's a fight. I'll show my teacher. What'll he care? And I do, but we have to tell them, look, you're inundated with so many things on the glow of that little screen. It's going to change how you view the entire world. It's going to change how you view even your friends because they're going to portray themselves in a way that's highly glorified in the world of filters. I know we could talk about having all that access to porn. Are you kidding me? That's a scary thought. That's a very scary thought, but it's probably going to rewire their brains on how they feel about sex. You know, when I was growing up, there's probably two playboys in the whole neighborhood. Had to be shared among people. Or you find something behind a dumpster. That's how it worked. Or as Adam Carolla said, his grandpa, what would he do? Now, if you're from the 20s, you wait around for a cloud to look like somebody naked. But now everything's on the phone. Everything's there. So what's intriguing anymore to these kids? We, we gotta wonder. Who knows? But there have been studies, studies that say it's important for kids to be bored once in a while. Isn't that weird? For all of us parents who want to be parents of the year, we're going to go to the museum, then to the circus, then to the zoo, then to the park, then to the circus, then to the... Hey, can you talk, Josh? Then to the circus, then to the zoo, then to SeaWorld and Legoland, then to the park. And we'll give them the iPad, we'll give them the iWatch, we'll give them the iZone, we'll give them the laptop, we'll give them the movies in the car, we'll give them the earbuds. You know, it's just like, we're going to flood their minds. I know, clearly this isn't great parenting. But, you know, fill their schedule as best you can. Keep them stimulated. 
keep them enthralled. It all sounds good, but they should be bored once in a while. I got to change my mindset because if I was seeing my kid bored, I'd probably want to step in and go, what can we do right now? But you got to just let the kids be bored because that is when the creative juices start flowing. That's when the innovative feelings of I'm going to do something on my own volition right now. I'm just going to create. I'm going to use my imagination and create something to do. Could be art, could be musical, could be social, could be scientific, could be athletic. I don't know. But that's one thing I think parents could do a better job of. Let your kids be bored. Let them be bored. Schools now give Chromebooks to kids. Schools now just give Chromebooks to kids and go, hey, this is how we learn now. I don't know. I don't know. Can I say that any more dramatically? I don't know. I don't know. But really, I don't know. Third grade, you need a Chromebook? You're going to be sending emails? It's got a place. I guess there's a time and place to make sure they're tech savvy. But they'll never be bored. You give them Chromebooks for 24 hours a day. Googling, Googling, YouTube and Googling. Even if you give them filters, they know how to get around the filters. Even if you give them sites that they can't go to, they know how to get around and go to the sites. Right? You can't stop a kid with their VPNs. Is that what it's called? Yeah, if you try to censor any websites, they'll go. They'll still get there. Being bored is a beautiful thing. That's why I'm doing this podcast. What else would I be doing? Sitting, staring at a cloud. Waiting for it to look like a naked lady? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, boredom spawns some creativity. It's a beautiful thing. You know, and boredom can come from the glow of a TV too. Isn't it insane? You got 3,000 channels. You're streaming Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix. How many of you go, there's nothing on. I do it all the time. Then you turn off the TV and you go, I need something. So when you grab a book. By the way, four years ago, almost exactly four years ago, my grandpa Cy passed away, my dad's dad. And he was a stained glass virtuoso, prolific. I'm not exaggerating. I think he had over 500 pieces of stained glass. He was gifted. But it wasn't until he was bored every single night watching TV after dinner where he said, you know, I got to take a class. I got to find an artistic outlet. And he took an adult ed class on stained glass. And then, boom, took off from there. Became a regular at the stained glass shops. I have a lot of his stuff displayed in my house. So do many of our relatives. So do many strangers out there. They have a lot of grandpa-sized stained glass work. That's just how he spent a lot of his nights. Because when you sit there on the couch, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And how many of these shows are just so terrible? Like I watched the other night a David Spade show on Comedy Central. Just a talk show. You know, this format where we have five people sit around a desk or on couches talking. How many of these shows do we need? They're all bad, right? The View, Real Time with Bill Maher. These are all bad shows. Can we agree on that? And now we have 30, 40. We're always looking for the next best thing, I guess. Producers are always like, we need a great talk format. Let's have David Spade on a chair talking to other people. Nothing to say. There's nothing to say. We've done it already. So what did I do? I turned off the TV. I said I need a book. Tried to Malcolm Gladwell. Is it blasphemy to say he's a little boring? I understand he's a great writer, good journalist, good thinker, has a lot of good ideas. But Malcolm Gladwell is so famous. Everybody just likes to talk about Malcolm Gladwell. I don't get it. Sorry. It's like Andy Kaufman. He's so famous. His comedy? Eh, great. He lip syncs Mighty Mouse. It's pretty good. He does a good Elvis. All right. Andy Kaufman, he does female wrestling. I get it. Why is he such a legend? It's not that funny. Perhaps it's because he died young. Maybe that's what creates legendary status for a lot of celebrities. If Andy Kaufman was still alive right now, he'd be on a cruise ship. Is he still even a comedian? I don't know. But Malcolm Gladwell didn't do it for me. 
Just like Peter Griffin says, some things insist upon itself. I think some reputations, you feel the need to go, oh yeah, it was good. Oh yeah, I like it because everybody says they like it. No, not me. No, thanks. Malcolm Gladwell, no thanks. So then what did I do? Because I'm a one-trick pony. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say, but yes, you guessed it. I bought Chris Kattan's book. I actually put my baby and my wife in my car and I said, we're going to Barnes & Noble, not even Amazon Prime. We're going to Barnes & Noble. Why? Because there's AC in my car and this house is too damn hot. And that is the reason I want to spend my whole summer in the car with AC turned all the way up maximum right on my face. I'll just circle the neighborhood, circle the neighborhood until dinner time. But we drove to Barnes and Noble and I was embarrassed to ask one of the employees there. Hey, do you have Chris Kattan's new book? Yeah, it's his memoir. I love Saturday Night Live. I don't just like it. I love it. It's an institution that I'm always going to be interested in. So anytime a cast member, even if it's one I didn't love, writes a book about it, I'm going to read it. In two nights, I've read 170 pages. Now I'm just bragging. But it's a good read. Stories about Molly Shannon, stories about Will Ferrell. It's a good read. You remember Catan, Mango, Mr. Peepers, the interpretive dance guy. His childhood was so odd that it is so entertaining. Isn't that what a good memoir is? Where we go, Jesus, your life was really that way? And then we look in the mirror and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of our lives are odd. All of our lives are so weird. It's just we don't condense them into 250-page memoirs. But Chris did, and it's good. And even though I'm a one-trick pony, I probably only read about sports, nonfiction, memoirs, history, comedy. That's okay. That's okay. Because at least it's not staring into my phone or staring into the glow of an empty TV that has 3,000 options every night. All right, let me get off that for a moment. I got a list for you. I put together a list. Here's a bunch of stuff that a lot of normal people do that I'll never do. It's a lot of normal things that a lot of normal people just do and I'll never do. It's the old play along game. Episode 63. You play along. Ask yourself, you do this stuff? And if you do, that's okay. I'm not judging you. There's just so many things we can do in life. We only have so many minutes and there's so many things that I just go, I'll never ever do that. Why? Why would I? Number one, those aluminum shield sunshades. You know, they look like aluminum foil. You're supposed to put them on the inside of your windshield on a hot day in your car. So when you get back to your car, it's not so hot in there. Who's doing that still? I saw this lady at CVS. Actually, I was at CVS. Seems like I go there a lot. I guess I do. She was putting the old sunblocker aluminum shade on the inside of her car windshield. It probably only took her 18 seconds, but I'm going to save those 18 seconds throughout my life. I don't want to own one. I don't want to put it in. If it's hot when I get back into my car, it's going to be hot. And I could say, you know what? That's fine. I have AC. I'm going to survive. And then when you get back in, you have to fold it up, slowly fold it up. And then where do you put it? At your feet? Where do you put it? It's just something I won't be doing. What percentage of Americans are putting that sun shield on the inside of their windshield? I almost think it's 42. I almost think it's 42%. What do you think? Oh, really? This isn't a conversation? Here's another thing normal people do. Normal people's do? How many plurals do you need? Uh, fabric softener. How many steps do we need doing laundry? You put the detergent in. You put your clothes in. The fact that I separated it, towels, whites, and darks, that's good enough. All right? There's detergent. There's now dirty clothes in there. I'm going to put it in the dryer with a dryer sheet, and I'm going to clear the lint trap. I'm going to do all these things. What's fabric softener all about? Who's doing this? Who's doing this? Award-winning laundry. I can't remember a day in the last two years of my life where we're not doing laundry. Why would I want to make that process longer? Why? 
Not going to do it. No fabric softener. Next time you go to the grocery store, look at all the different brands and all the different scents. You go, what? Who's doing it? What percentage of Americans using fabric softener as one of the steps? I would say 24, 24%. Another thing, a salad spinner, lettuce spinner. What is this? You remember in the eighties, you know, your parents had one in the cupboard. They say, can you spin the lettuce? We're going to have salad for dinner. Hey, Josh, can you just spin the lettuce? Can you spin the salad? What the fuck is this? It had that handle with the rope. No one needs it. You don't spin your salad. I don't want one. I don't need one. Didn't register for one at the wedding. No, thanks. What an extra step, even though it probably only takes 46 seconds. I'm asking you what percentage of Americans are actually using the old lettuce spinner. The answer, and these are all guesses, 12. 12% of Americans still using the old salad tosser. <laughs> it's probably not called that. Okay, how about this? I wonder why hamburgers are still an option on any menu. I just realized there are vegans. Oh, God. Oh, God. No, but honestly, I'll never order a hamburger. I'll never even say that. It's always cheeseburger. Could you imagine getting a burger without cheese? Where would you ever do this? If it's the fast food world, you would never. McDonald's, Burger King, In-N-Out, Five Guys, Carl's Jr. Of course there's cheese. Give me the American singles. Lots of them. Even if you're at a nice restaurant, you go with the burger. If it's a fancy burger place, it's a cheeseburger. You'll never order a hamburger. You shouldn't. Please don't. Come on. Get the cheese. Cheddar, Jack, Swiss, Pepper Jack, whatever you like. I'll never order a hamburger. That'd be an empty meal. Always cheese. I guess that's not the kosher part of the show. All right, how about this? Happy hour. You ever go to a happy hour? What are the drink options? Cheaper beers on tap, right? Cheaper wines by the glass. And then it says cheaper well drinks. Well. Take a moment for a second. I have a feeling if you're listening to this podcast, you're not a person that orders the well drinks right off the happy hour menu. You just trust the bartender to use anything for the well drinks? Like such a generic world. You go to happy hour, you got to be so specific. You don't just go, I'll have beer. No, you give them the brand, the kind of beer you like. You don't just go, I'll have red wine. No, you tell them, what do you want? A Pinot Noir, a Cabernet, a Zin? You got to be specific. But well drinks, ugh. What are they using? The lowest of the low shelf squeeze bottles? <laughs> to make your margarita, to make your Cape Cod, to make your rum and coke? Well drinks. Who's ordering these at happy hour? Raise your hand right now. The answer is 6% of Americans are still doing it. No, if you're going to get a cocktail, you're probably going to craft it yourself with the brands that you like. You don't just tell the waiter, yeah, I'll have one of your well drinks. Number seven, Greyhound. I don't know if that resonates. I'm probably just projecting my own tastes. But the last one, actually, there's two more. Use a bidet. How many opportunities have you ever had to use a bidet? Where does it all go? I don't know. Spraying it up there. Do you know what a bidet is? Of course you do. You're an adult listening to this. Have you used one? If you've used one and you have my cell phone number, text me. Just tell me. How was the experience? Lovely? Don't just, don't just say what everybody always says. Oh, it's the best. I don't think so. I don't want to use it. Call me a traditionalist in the bathroom, but I've seen bidets here and there. It's weird, but I'm now 37 years old. That means I've seen enough bidets and I never go, yep, today's my day to take a shower from behind. I have no clue how that works, how it remains sanitary. 
It sounds like it would dirty up the situation even more all over the place, right? I, I don't know. I truly don't. And the last one is one that I just broke. This is my stupid list of normal things people do that I would never do, but I just broke this and I did it yesterday. And it's a living room workout. I always said, if I am going to get fitness in my life, I'm going to leave my home. That means I'm either going to go on a run, play basketball, go to the gym, treadmill, elliptical. Okay. I'm never going to be the type of guy that brings the workout into my home. As in, I need a Nordic track from 1990 or I need a chin-up bar. I just, I don't think it looks good in the house to have a bunch of gym equipment all over the place. That's just me. I'll never have a thigh master in my bedroom. I just won't. I'll never have a shake weight. Normal people do. A lot of people do. They have gym equipment all over the house. That's fine. That's fine. I think it's a reason that I should get out of my home. However, yesterday, too hot. It's too hot to go on a run. So I went to YouTube. I just typed in P90X and I did 10 minutes with a guy named Tony Horton. Do you know Tony? Do you know T-Bone? I did 10 minutes and holy shit, I'm out of shape. I was sweating onto my carpet and I've always said I'm never going to do this. I, I don't know if I'll ever do it again. You got to put a towel down. You got to talk to the TV and say, I'm good, Tony. I got about uh, one to two more of those in me. Yeah, no, I'm not going to be planking as long as you. I'm not going to be throwing air punches like that. I'm not going to be squatting like that. I'm not going to be doing that amount of push-ups. What am I doing? I'm just cheating myself, cheating the system. I'm not good at it. Tybo? What are all the fads you could think of to stay in your home as you work out? I don't know. What percentage of people are getting their workouts done in their home with the new pelotons? Uh... I'd say 59. Yeah, almost 60% of all people. All right. Breathe in through your yeep and out through your burp. Okay, we got to get going. That's episode 63. Drop a rating or a review on iTunes if you like this stuff. And tweet at me at jrosenberg957. Episode 63. It's now in the books. I'll talk to you soon.